In good disaster movies, anyone can be a hero. They remind us that only through facing adversity can we reach our full potential. In many ways, 2020 had all the makings of a Hollywood disaster movie. Empty streets, face masks, environment suits, and closed borders. For the fortunate among us, it's the closest we'll have come to experiencing such drama in real life. For the high street, the impact has been no less dramatic. From amongst the debris of five-year plans and annual forecasts, businesses are getting to their feet, dusting themselves off and surveying the world around them. For some, it might seem bleak, but beyond the initial fallout is the possibility for new beginnings. The road to retail recovery lies in reinvention. Anybody that wants to talk to me about the death of the high street is going to have an argument on their hands because high streets have been with us for literally hundreds of years and will survive long beyond uh, our existences. This is Retail Reawakened, the show that explores how retail and hospitality businesses can rise again in the aftermath of the pandemic. And I'm your host, Colin Neal, Head of Commercial at Adian UK. Adian is a global payments provider for retailers like Hunter, Superdry and Fortman Mason and food and beverage businesses like Leon, Joe on the Juice and Hackersan. Before working at Adian, I spent 30 years in the retail industry, including working as Retail Operations Director at Burberry. In this series premiere, we're going to look at the changes that have hit our high streets in recent history to try and better understand what the future might look like. We'll discover how purchasing habits have changed and hear how pioneers of customer experience took their digital transformation projects to the next level. Over the centuries, pandemics have accelerated changes in human behaviour. The Black Death dealt the heavy blow to the feudal system and raised labour wages. The Boston smallpox epidemic gave rise to the free press and SARS propelled online shopping into the mainstream. Adian's latest research found that 34% of UK consumers shop online more now than they did before the pandemic. Didn't order anything online, I don't think, 10 years ago. We, yeah, definitely went out to the shops more than we do now. I can't remember the last time I went to a shop, to be honest. Food shopping, I go out. Clothes shopping, I'm generally doing online. Nice things for the house. I wouldn't buy that online, but everything else, I'll just get it from Amazon and have it there the next day. <laughs> The long-term impact of the coronavirus remains to be seen, but already it's been a catalyst for change. To understand what it takes to thrive in uncertain times, we're going to meet a brand that's been with us since 1856. To put that into context, the retailer has survived through the fall of an empire, two world wars and a digital revolution. Here's Steve Ibrahim, former head of operations for Burberry, to tell us all about the global fashion brand's secret to survival, adaptation. I think with Burberry, it's always been about customer service. We've always been a global company, but I think it transformed from being, I suppose, uh, fashion outfitters to becoming global fashion brand. And that happened sort of uh, late 90s, 2000, sort of you know, evolved. And during that period, there was a lot of change within the brand. And a lot of the focus was on product development. So product development, customer service, the aesthetics of the whole store, it wasn't just about customers coming in and shopping, but it was the whole experience. You know, when we rolled out and you went into the store, if you were a great customer and you came in, you would be offered champagne. 
people were completely amazed by that. I said, oh my God, that's, thank you so much. That is wonderful. And also, I suppose, in terms of logistics, operationally, trying to sort of give the best experience in terms of availability of stock to customers. So we always had things like store-to-store transfers to make sure that we can get all the products to the customer. The rise of e-commerce was nothing short of a revolution. Although some online-only retail giants may have taken a slice of the brick-and-mortar commerce pie over the years, the internet has also offered an opportunity for high street retailers to not only take back some of those web sales, but to drive foot traffic through the doors too. In fact, the Adian Retail Report showed that in-store shoppers spent 40% more when they moved online. This means it's never been more important for retailers to learn how to use each channel to their advantage. I suppose Burberry, we knew you know, earlier on that the market was going that way. Uh, people, you know, the world was becoming more digitized. There was a lot of opportunity to sell online, but not necessarily to sell online. You're... I always look at online as your window. Windows are 60%, they used to say, of a customer coming into the store. So windows for a lot of retailers was quite important to make them look stunning and also to be enticing, to draw the customers into your to your workspace so that they can obviously have a look around. But I've always, as I said to you, saw it as a platform, as a window. So instead of reaching a couple of thousand people a day that may pass or frequent your store, you now had millions of people clicking on your website, looking at your uh, products, and then you couldn't do that before digitization. But for digital transformation strategist Craig Crawford, the website wasn't just a window into Burberry's physical space, it represented a core part of the brand. We looked at the website as the flagship store. And when you think of the website as your flagship store, it's a strategic way of thinking. It shifts the perspective. I'll go into brands today who will say things to me like, my website is only generating 6% of my revenue. So we're only giving it 6% of our advertising and creative budget. And I said, are you kidding me? Where do you think they get into your store? How do you think they become aware of your store? Digital is discovery. 80% of us at some crazy number won't go into a store if we haven't been online first, right? Forget the pandemic. Forget the fact that now we we, we have no choice. Uh, this was before the pandemic. The numbers were quite high and we're influenced by what we see online. So we wanted and we understood that flagship store was our place to tell our message. That message would soon become a two-way conversation. While other luxury brands didn't see the potential, Burberry were already adopters of social media, taking to Facebook and Twitter, as well as creating their own image-sharing initiative, The Art of the Trench. Well, we embarked on the social media journey very very early. We had to buy back all of the fan pages um, that existed in Facebook. Lots of Burberry pages created by fans of the brand. So we didn't start that. The fans of the brand started that. The the consumers started that. So we pulled those together, and then we did a big announcement. But at the same time, it was early days for Facebook, and we didn't know if it was going to stick. 
And so the marketing and the creative media team wanted to create our own social community, our own social platform. So we created Art of the Trench and we hired Roger Schulman, to, who was a satirist, who to do the first 100 photographs. And then we invited people to post pictures of themselves and share them. We, we built this platform so that you could you know, sort them by color, by length, by, by, by weather and, and region. But you could like them, you could comment on the photos, and then you could share them uh, amongst your social media. So at that time, I think it was Twitter and Facebook. And again, didn't matter gender, didn't matter age, right? It was it was about how you wore the coat, the expression um, of yourself through the, the Burberry trench coat. And that was very important for us because we weren't sure Facebook was going to stick. To fight back against online competition, Burberry knew they needed to do more than just maintain an online presence. The stores themselves would have to adapt and upgrade to make them worth visiting during the digital revolution and beyond. They wanted to create an experience, the likes of which the public had never seen before, and they decided to go big. One of the things that we wanted to do was to obviously enhance the imagery. Initially, in most stores, we had static posters, but of course, you kind of limited how often you can change those. We felt that we wanted to sort of enhance that by putting in large screens. So A, you can have imagery, but also video for the first time. So initially, we, we chose selective stores around the world. That was a very, very large pilot to actually put huge screens. I mean, I'm talking large screens, 10 foot wide. And a lot of that was actually linked with sound. Initially, we had no music. Music came after. Then subsequently, we enhanced the music by putting proper, you know, really high quality sound system so that we can play good music. And the music kind of revolved. We used to have at the time different music for the morning, different music for the afternoon, and different music for the evening. And then later on, of course, we brought in the video screens to the store which was quite revolutionary at the time. I don't remember seeing much of that in any of the stores. We played naturally, obviously, a lot of fashion imagery. But then when we had runway, for instance, we would actually then broadcast the runway clips on that as well, or selective. And the range was quite wide, so we would make sure there'll be videos for women's wear, ladies' wear, accessories. And then we opened Regent Street. And there was a lot of work done in setting the new stepping stone as to how Burberry should go forward. And for that, we actually put in screens into fitting rooms so that, and, and there were RFD tags on, on the products. And the idea was that when a customer picked the product and went in to try it on, a video would then start to play with that particular product that you've actually introduced into the video, into the uh, fitting room, which was absolutely revolutionary. No one actually ever, ever done that before. And customers found that really really exciting we would actually let them go in and they'd come out and then they'll say oh my god i've just witnessed this and then we would then obviously talk to the client and explain so they love that the groundbreaking work burberry was doing to enhance their customer experience wasn't just about introducing flashy tech everything from content creation to logistics needed to be developed in order to support their in-store digital experience Everything that went into the Regent Street store 
uh, went through a special process in the supply chain. And think about this for a minute. It's all, all operational stuff. People talk about the technology. But if the product didn't have the RFID chip and that wasn't connected to the backbone of technology and there wasn't content, then there'd be nothing to play, right? So the creative media team had to create content for the product that was going into the Regent Street store and the supply chain had to tag that. But when you went in front of mayors in the dressing room, you would see craftsmanship uh, information. You'd see the runway show. You'd understand aspects of the clothing. There were trays that you could put accessories on to see how things were made uh, and the British craftsmanship that went into that. So all of this immersive, interactive experience. But if you think about it, we were still celebrating the product. We were celebrating the heritage of the brand. We were celebrating the craftsmanship. We weren't just showing you some augmented reality technology experience for the sake of having an experience in the store. Competitors started to notice Burberry's work and soon followed suit, reimagining their websites and enriching their in-store experience. Burberry knew that to keep ahead of the competition, they wouldn't just have to keep up with emerging trends and technology, they'd have to innovate. And with their in-store and online practices now at the cutting edge, they looked to how they could enhance the customer experience further by combining the two. This is where Burberry's foray into unified commerce began. Burberry's always had a, a policy, a never out of stock mindset. So when a customer came in, we would train the team never to say no to a client because the customer will pick up a product and say, well, I'd like this and some customers. And then if we, didn't, if we never had that product and we have other product, we would offer. Now, there'll be occasions when the customer will say, well, I, I need this particular product in my size. Then the staff were trained to actually look elsewhere. So we will look to other stores, including Europe. Now, if we didn't have that also in other stores, then there was an opportunity to see if it's available online. We can bring the product into the store or we could deliver it to their home address or, or, or an address of their choosing. And that was something that was quite revolutionary so that we were able to sort of maximize your sales. And, and at the same time, the customer didn't leave the store disappointed because they couldn't get what they wanted. I think it was 2017 where Burberry looked at actually um, expanding the range again, you know, with a view of never out of stock mindset. And they consolidated the inventory of select stores with that of online. Because there were occasions when customers will try to buy something online and it wasn't available. So the, the idea was that what we will do is that we'll link the inventory of a select store to that of online. So if the world store had one stock, but there was another six available in different stores, then you'd have seven. And to do that, there was obviously a lot of work. And so a lot of software was installed, a lot of training with a team. And then eventually it was rolled out. And then um, the staff would then go around on the hour every hour and they will go around, look for the stock within the store, pick it. And at the end of the day, it will then get shipped up to the online store. Then it subsequently went to the customer. Moving forward, phase three was that the actual stores would pack it for the customer. So that when you got the order and it came to your store, you would pack it and ship it directly to the customer. So you cut down the actual lead time that it would get to the customer. Enhancing their online presence, updating shop floors and revolutionizing the way retailers thought about their sales channels were just a few elements in Burberry's development plan. And with customer service being prized so highly by the brand, the next logical step was to strengthen it even further and enhance it through their use of technology. When we put 
iPads in store, that was also a tool that allowed them to not just show what was online, it became a full concierge service. You know, we could order you a taxi. We could, you know, check on theater tickets or dinner reservations or something for you in the area because we have a lot of traveling consumers coming into London. So we allowed the associates to use those iPads as best they saw fit to allow for a luxury experience with that consumer. And at the same time, we wanted to be able to communicate with them. We had what we call Berber chat. It was that they could talk, they could chat. The executives did the same. People created groups. So if someone walked into Regent Street and only spoke Russian, they could put a message up. I have a native Russian speaker. Can anyone assist? Another store could call, dial in and say, yes, I speak Russian. We can help this consumer. Immediately, those things started happening. With Craig and the digital transformation team providing the tech and vision, Steve and the other sales managers were able to focus on their core competency, incredible customer service. It wasn't just about selling. It was a little bit more than that. You have to do all the little extras for the customers. And that's what in-store experience was all about. It wasn't just about making a sale. It's more about the customer. So it was all about enhancing the experience. And customer expectation is so much higher these days. If you look at where customers shopped 20, 30 years ago, it's somewhat very different now. People's expectations are so much higher because everybody that comes into the store wants to be wowed by the actually the ambience of the store, the interior design, for instance. You know, when Burberry Bond Street opened, it was quite ahead of its time in terms of design. You know, they had, I remember in the store, luggages that were actually fixtures. And the actual people would come in and would say, oh my God, I absolutely love it. Can I buy it? And we would say, I'm terribly sorry, it's not for sale. And that was what was actually amazing about it was because you're actually exceeding customer expectation. I think you get that with most stores now. A high-end store would be offering you that. So now the, the, the thing, expectation is, well, how do we exceed that? How do we move on from that? And I think one key area I would always say is the customer service is actually key. Your team are ambassadors for you. They you know your customers. They will go, you know, the extra mile to make sure your customer has a great experience. You can see a salesperson or a manager who goes the extra mile because they care. It is not just a job, but it's a little bit more than that. So I think a lot of high-end stores offer all these experiences and they're looking for new ways to actually improve on that. I think that should be the fundamental key to giving a great experience to a customer. Stephen Craig gave us great insight into the issues retailers have faced over the last decade and how they have risen to the challenge. But what might things look like on a macro level? Here to give us a brief recent history on the high street is Claire Bailey otherwise known as the retail champion. I think if we look back over the history of the high streets in the UK, it's quite interesting because we've had some major events happen that have transformed momentarily the landscape of the high street, but then it's all stabilized again. I'd go back several hundred years 
to start with, to say, anybody that wants to talk to me about the death of the high street is going to have an argument on their hands. Because high streets have been with us for literally hundreds of years and will survive long beyond uh, our existences. And I think that what we must all remember is that we're going through a period of immense change. And there's been immense change that's impacted our high streets over those hundreds of years. But they've bounced back, reshaped themselves and ensured that they offer relevancy to the community that they're there to serve. But I suppose we do look back at uh, just about 11 years ago, I think now, and one of the most significant impacts that ever happened in our lifetimes was the collapse of Woolworths, when some 820 stores all shut within 40 days across the whole of the country. And people thought that there'd be no recovering from that. But I think only five of the stores were never reoccupied some significant percentages were reoccupied with almost exactly the same as Woolworths, really. Things like B&M or discount stores and so on. Uh, variety retail. Others went to convenience grocery. But then others were more interesting. They went to more social value and community use. Things like nurseries, galleries and event spaces. But what was interesting was that what we thought was a catastrophic moment in time then proved over time not to be. The global financial crisis and the collapse of one of Britain's high street institutions might not have been a precursor to the fall of in-store retail after all. Since then, we've seen e-commerce go mainstream and it hasn't had the devastating effect we might have been led to believe. A lot of people hide behind e-commerce as though that as it's in its own right has caused some collapse of the high street as a whole. But actually, up until January 2020, e-commerce had stabilised and really only represented 18.6% of all retail sales if you look back at the ONS figures. Now, I think they're somewhat understated because it misses things like, if you could call it e-commerce, the small independent boutique that maybe sells through Facebook and takes a PayPal payment but doesn't necessarily have an e-commerce site of their own. But that's still digital retailing. But nonetheless, it had been stable for quite some time and even dropped back a little bit. And then, of course, uh, with the impact of COVID, it jumped dramatically within the first three months of 2020. By April, it was reported to be over 30% of all retail sales. Now, that represented 10 years worth of growth in just three months, which, of course, in any industry is difficult to deal with. But the high street was already suffering some challenges at the beginning of the pandemic. So I think... That sort of puts e-commerce into its place, as it were. It it isn't the most significant driver of retail collapse or success and failure, but it is an essential and integral part of what retailers do. Clearly, e-commerce isn't the high street assassin it's slated as. And the recent gigantic leaps in digital retail spend isn't due to a nation turning its back on the high street but rather an international stay-at-home effort to help end a pandemic. In fact, it could be a unique opportunity for businesses to adopt Burberry's unified commerce approach, using their online channels to complement their brick-and-mortar stores. This has the added benefit of improving resilience. Our research found that 50% of Adyen's unified commerce customers saw transactions remain stable throughout the pandemic. I must say, we've been banging on about digital transformation 
and a cohesive, holistic experience, whether online or offline, for about a decade. And in many ways, I'm quite encouraged that the pandemic's forced the issue and actually made retailers think, this isn't for tinkering with anymore. We've just got to get on with it and make sure that we are offering one brand experience. So whether I talk to you through Facebook or whether I'm looking at your e-commerce or whether I'm in the store, being served by a holographic virtual assistant. Who knows? The immersive experience that delivers the brand doesn't need to be considerate of channels. It needs to be omni-channel. And that, that brand experience has to be consistent and cohesive across all channels such that the customer can bounce between the different environments and they, they don't feel any friction in the process. If we look at some of the success stories, one of them is, of course, Primark. I mean, obviously, with being forced to close for such a long period of time, they don't choose to use e-commerce. So they have suffered losses. But what's fascinating is their social engagement and the fact that they are constantly in conversation with their customer. They understand their customer group. So even though they never had e-commerce, they were the one retailer that sustained queues after the first lockdown reopening throughout the period right the way through till September. And I suppose then on the flip side, what's failure? Well, it, it's Debenhams and Arcadia, unfortunately. For various reasons, things were done to those businesses by the owners and the investors that resulted in them not having the financial resource to transform both the customer experience in store and to embrace digital in a rapid enough manner so that they became very quickly dated in contrast to the competition to transform when they really, really needed to. So it's a bit of a mix of poor financial management, but more importantly, not really sort of looking ahead to the needs and wants of their target customer and making sure that every aspect of their business from product to prices, promotions, customer experience and digital and, and physical integration, if that wasn't right, they were going nowhere. But the high street isn't all about fashion and luxury retail. Food and beverage retail has gone through some transformation too, with consumer habits and expectations changing as well. When I was a bit younger, I might go out with my wife to the restaurant. Now we're more likely to stay home and perhaps get a takeaway instead. Uh, takeaways every so often. Uh, meal kits, uh, we've used uh, HelloFresh a couple of times. With the uh, Deliveroo and Uber Eats, you can get everything. So it used to just be pizza or Chinese, maybe an Indian, and now you can have anything from, from all over town. It's fantastic. In line with what our consumers on the high street are saying, our research found that 27% of UK consumers use takeaway apps more than they did before the pandemic. But for Claire Bailey, the rise of delivery apps like Deliveroo and Just Eat and the boom of the boutique food provider is just one part of the story. I think that the food and beverage side of things has experienced something similar but slightly later to what retail experienced. So there was this huge growth in casual dining where it was not that expensive, but not that cheap. And then we saw a collapse of a number of those chains, which was an interesting observational factor because we saw similar, the middle market getting squeezed out as customers polarized. They'd rather potentially eat out less frequently and do something really special and go for boutique food offerings or celebrity chefs and those kind of things. But I mean, even Jamie's Italian 
perhaps wasn't boutique enough. So people traded down to cheaper options or up to more expensive options and left the middle with no customers. And that's been apparent for quite a while. The, the pandemic has seen us grow our love of the experience as opposed to the experience, to having it in. And I think that there was something like a 50% increase in takeaway sales in the UK in 2020, which suggests that we can have the experience, the Netflix or the download or whatever it may be, and we can have our takeaway. We can actually have quite a nice time at home and pay a modest amount so I, I believe that will be quite important going forward. If you're a boutique food provider, yeah, you might see a massive increase in sales in the coming year. But the delivery apps, they've underpinned the ability for us to have all these takeaways that we've been having. And I think that was a trend even before we were told we couldn't go out. So I would be quite concerned for anyone stuck in the middle. So for those who are stuck in the middle who are listening now, either go down and go cheap or go up. <laughs> and, and if you can improve your experience, make it as upmarket as possible. And if a restaurant can present to the customer that not only do they offer a really boutique experience, but they try to buy in season and very local, maybe even from their own allotment, that is something that people will pay more for. Claire's given us a snapshot of just how the retail and food and beverage industries have changed over recent years. And what's immediately apparent is that adaptation is the name of the game. As COVID made only too clear in March last year, and as commerce becomes even more unified, it's time to tear up the traditional playbooks once and for all and prepare for an age in which every interaction is digital and every experience matters. But what do retailers need to do to update their sales channels and satisfy the expectations of a consumer whose shopping habits have been altered by a pandemic? And how have businesses had to react and adapt over the last year to get them through lockdowns and prepare them for the future? We had really grand plans of 30, 40 stores in, in the next five years. Website was not even being considered as a result of the pandemic, we thought. Let's look at online. Let's see what we can do. Everyone's sitting at home, right? So maybe we have to go to them. That's next time on Retail Reawakened. You've been listening to Retail Reawakened. I'm your host, Colin Neal. If you want to find out more about digital transformation and adaptation, visit adian.com forward slash retail report and download Adian's latest research report. A big thanks to Craig Crawford, Steve Ibrahim and Claire Bailey for their contributions today. And join us next time as we discover how the wake-up call of the pandemic puts sales channels into flux. We'll dig deeper into unified commerce and learn how sales data can be used to improve customer experiences. I'll see you then.